so it's the end of the world as we know it, question mark. And we'll have a little bit of fun sort of wondering about that. I, uh, I came across a joke that I know I've heard before. You've probably heard lots of times as well. But it kind of leads me into what we want to talk about today. And so here's it goes. Uh, it says, once I saw this guy in a bridge about to jump, I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yeah. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, me too. Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What franchise? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist, Eastern Region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist, Great Lakes Region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, die, heretic, and I pushed him over. Ridiculous, isn't it? But it, it it's almost as ridiculous as sometimes we have been, as we have parsed ourselves um, one away from the other with little things that we believe. Um, and none of the things that we believe is insignificant, but I think we have a hard time sometimes sorting between what are the things that should keep us together and what are the things that should keep us apart. Uh, we're using this series, It's the End of the World as We Know It, as as just kind of a, a sneak preview in, in a sense of what we're going to do all through the summer. And so we've gone to Peter again and in Second Peter, um, there's one particular chapter, chapter 3, in which he begins to lay out the uh, aspects of the, the future plans of Christ and our God and what we call the eschaton. Um, we're we're going to open that up this summer uh, to try to see the whole span of Scripture when it comes to what God is doing, what God has been doing, what God is doing, what God will do. And, and so um, today I want to just sort of... Um, kind of set the scene for what you do when, as you're talking about all of these things, you find that you disagree with one another. There may not be another area of theology in which there is such disagreement as the area of eschaton, the eschatology of the church, the, the future things of the church. Um, because the that set of doctrine sort of encompasses a whole lot of different things. And so what we will do this summertime, I know, is we will expose some areas of disagreement. 
Um, I know that some of the things that I talk about, I disagree with my colleagues. You will probably disagree with me. Um, but we'll have to ask a question, well, when can we agree to disagree? And when should we be willing to sort of go tooth and nail and say, no, wait a minute, on that hill, I think I would be prepared to die. So I want to today, as we go to Second Peter chapter 3, um, to talk about two areas that we would um, be helped if we could think them through in sorting out the question, um, are we still okay with one another or each other? Um, how do we think that um, these two areas are impacting how the person with whom I'm talking or how I myself am interacting with the, the doctrines of Scripture and the teachings of Scripture about the, the things that are yet to come? So we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 3 again. And I'm, I'm sorry, we're in 2nd. First Peter chapter, Second Peter chapter three, got that right. Um, and here's what we uh, big, we read in chapter three, verses fifteen through seventeen. Peter says, "Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand." which the untaught and stable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. So obviously there, um, we have Peter kind of giving this sort of... Um, tacit warning that says that don't just take everything that everyone tells you but examine what they're saying who they are um, because you want to be careful that you are not shaken from um, the sort of steadfast position that you're finding yourself in so there's a, a kind of a nice um, nod to Paul in this. Um, sometimes people wonder, well, is what Peter teaches the same as what Paul teaches? Um, there's that one notable incident where Paul took Peter to task um, when Peter was was playing sort of favorites um, when he was in the lunchroom and he took his tray and took it over to sit with some um, more impressive people than the others and um, Paul went after him about it and said you're wrong on that stuff and he called him out so it's nice here to have Peter you know give a nod to Paul and say he's our he's our good friend our brother Paul and also I love the fact that, that Peter says um, some of the things that he says are hard to understand and the rest of us you know now all of these uh, centuries later we go you think Yes, a lot of things are hard to understand. But in the middle of all of that, Peter is saying, um, do be careful with what is being taught and do be careful with what you do with that. So as I'm saying, there are many areas in the, uh, the whole realm of 
the work of God in time, through time, and um, a, as time ends, that are, are very hard to understand. The, the scriptures aren't altogether crystal clear, um, and we, we find ourselves just sorting into different positions with different opinions, and sometimes they're just kind of interesting, and we you know, happily nod to one another and say, yeah, I know you take a little bit of a different view on that. But sometimes we we disagree strongly. And sometimes um, the the actual focus of our disagreement has a, an impact on a whole lot of how we view the rest of Scripture and how we view the rest of our Christian lives. So I thought today that before we roll up our sleeves and get busy with the whole um, forward longing kind of a sense that we're going to bring to the whole story of Scripture aimed towards the end times. Um, l- let's ask, well, I, how, can, how can we be sure that we are trustworthy as we teach together and as we talk together? So I would essentially say to you, the two things that I want to talk about today um, you are welcome to to check with me on either of them at any point because both of them are critical to whether or not um, we can actually carry on together um, saying, you know, we're still working that out or we still disagree or he's beginning to agree with me a little bit more or that sort of thing. So that sounds a little ominous, but let me kind of jump right in with with you, and we'll see what we can learn today on this Father's Day uh, weekend. The the first thing that I want to talk about um, is what what Peter has in the whole background here, and I, I'm going to refer you back to Second Peter two and verse fourteen. Um, which is kind of a, a focal point. Um, many, many times it's important to to get behind the pages of Scripture and ask what was going on so that the person would say these sorts of things. great example of that is the instructions of Paul to women in church in Corinth. And we get a... a, a behind-the-scenes understanding with some of the historic documents, and we discovered that there's this crazy movement um, called the eschatological women who feel as though they don't need men anymore, and um, they're kind of dispensing with men. And in the middle of that, Paul says, um, you know, I, I want women to be quiet. Well, he doesn't want women generally, universally, to be quiet, but he wants, he wants there to be a halt to the fighting that's going on and the and the shouting that's going on and the dismissing of the men that's going on. So when we come to Peter's second letter here, we're, we're kind of wondering what's happening there so that he is caused to say, be careful about the teaching that's going on. Uh, and then we, we can ask, well, how how can we bring that into our day and be sure that we're also as careful as we ought to be? So I, I'm going to read a fairly long passage to you from Second uh, Peter chapter 2. And it, it's more with a view to thinking, oh my goodness, that does sound like some pretty severe stuff. 
So here's what Peter says. Uh, False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness, reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensuous conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to do, to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring, self-will, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, um, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong as the wages of wrongdoing, they count it a pleasure to, to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of... Should I go on, or do we need to just say, oh my goodness, who are these people, and what is Peter? what's Peter talking about? Well... I'm not sure that we have time to figure all that out about who he's talking about. There certainly were some heresies going on, and Peter is saying, here are the kinds of characters that are trying to get your ear. They're trying to get your attention. They're trying to draw you in, and what he seems to be describing is a kind of a carousing, careless, carnal, fleshly, sort of um, pattern of living all couched in some kind of of teaching by which Peter is saying they're denying the actual truth, they're denying the Lord and they're trying to call you in, they're trying to suck you into uh, their particular heresies, their particular deceits. There was undoubtedly more than one version of Gnosticism going on um, Gnosticism is the the general uh, philosophy of of separating between um, physical and and immaterial, so b- between body and spirit. And uh, questions were going on about well, uh, what matters? Is it really just our spiritual selves that matter, so we can do whatever we want with our physical selves, um, or? And in fact, let, let's actually indulge the physical 
self because that's not going to matter in the long term? Or do we need to go to the other extreme and and hold down the physical expression of our humanness and um, and and deny ourselves? So, whatever version was showing up um, in Asia Minor, Peter is saying, "Look, be careful about all this nonsense." So. I'm pretty sure that um, we do not have versions like this one that are kind of seeping into our churches. But we, we, we get the warning from Peter that it is possible for those who are followers of Jesus to be called over, you know, to, be, to be drawn aside uh, into letting their ears um, hear and ponder things that are being taught to them and uh, in a dangerous sense so that, that Peter sort of ominously points out that if, if they get drawn into this, they will be drawn into the destruction of false teachers, of heretics. Um, and, and so here we are. What is he talking about? Um, and And what is this sort of matter of concern that we should kind of tuck away in our um, backpacks as we move along together trying to travel this this Christian life, uh, understanding the, the truths of our scriptures. What I think Peter is pointing out for us that is very instructive for us if we come back to Second Peter 3, verses 15 to 17, um, Peter says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men. What he has said about what Paul writes is that it's hard to understand, but not understanding is not the issue distorting is the issue. So he says that the things that Paul wrote are important but difficult to understand and when people are not taught or when they're unstable, um, they can distort the things that may at least be kind of confusing and now they become destructive into people's lives. So... um, when we try to get that that scenario, the 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 thing that looms large is is the whole moral dimension of truth. So somehow or other, the the false teachings of the Gnostics or whoever the heretics are, it it's enmeshed with immoral living. It's it is seen as permission for this kind of living or the result of this kind of living, whichever order it is, Peter is observing that there is an enmeshing between immorality and um, believing false things, believing false doctrine. What What is that saying to us? What is the kind of the flag that we should always be ready to wave? It is the flag that says that 
Teaching is independent from morality. I'll, I'll try to flesh that out a little bit. It's to say that um, the, the intellect is, is never distinct from the moral essence of a person. So how I think and what I think can never be um, independent from the the milieu of the of the moral me of the ethical me of the of the um, conscience heart knowing me here's the simple principle that we find in in scripture in proverbs 1 um, verse 7 gives us a great maxim to live by it says the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge so hang on to that because th- this is really that first flag we would be ready to wave and the one area in which we should always be kind of checking one another up. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge is not independent from spirituality. It's not independent from morality. It's not independent from our relationship with or absence of relationship with God. In, in Proverbs, the wisdom is very, very clear. If you want to have knowledge, the only place it can start is with the fear of the Lord. If you do not begin with the fear of the Lord, you will not result with knowledge. Fear of the Lord does not mean afraid of God. It's, it's a covenant word that simply means that we're living in conscience or in conscious um, response to the existence of God. That's kind of a, a broad definition, but we're saying we are not um, quite apart at all from our creator. We're not apart from the, the kind of model that, um, God cast us in as humankind. We we don't get to just be th- people who think in terms of knowledge and facts or science. It, it all begins with something. We have presuppositions. We have premises. We have um, where we come from. And in the Proverbs, the wisdom that's given to us is that if we want to be people of knowledge, we need to begin as people who have the right kind of orientation in the spiritual part of our lives, not not just the intellectual part of our lives. So the point is that when a person's life is, in in Peter's description there, it's almost characterized by debauchery. It's, it is sort of forensically bad it, it's it's just clearly not a, a wholesome kind of a life peter says when someone is living that kind of a life before you and teaching you things claiming that those are uh, either the warrant for the kind of lifestyle that he or she is living or the excuse for that kind of a lifestyle because they are more important than how, how you you end up living your life Peter says, no, the two are a bundle. 
what what we believe and what we know um, are are a bundle. We we believe in relation to our connection to God, and therefore we can know truth. All of that will issue into living a, a certain kind of a life. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If a person is claiming to have knowledge, uh, but there's an absence of the fear of the Lord, which means that there is something evident in life that kind of is not just square for you. Several times over the years, I've had conversations with people, and the conversation ostensibly has been over belief, over things that we know or don't know, questions that we have, answers that we're, we're struggling with. While I'm having those conversations, every, every now and then, something occurs to me that, that there's a, a clouding of the person's uh, judgment or thought processes as we as we talk. And, and it, it's, it's, it's sort of a situation in which the facts or the details don't clear it up. There seems to be something more than that. And every now and then in that situation, I, I've kind of poked a little bit and asked more questions about how the person is living than what the person knows or doesn't know or is questioning and, and so on. Sometimes what is unearthed is that the person has a moral problem, not an intellectual problem. That the, the thing that is kind of troubling me turns out to be a moral issue, not an intellectual issue. So they may seem as though they're struggling with a, a question or a, a you know a, a challenge to their to their faith, but it, it turns out that the problem is more the way they're living, the things that they're doing. And if they would address those things, they may find that the questions are are kind of moot. They don't they don't matter so much anymore. One of my favorite professors, which I've said this several times, um, is Bruce Walkey, who was a, a professor, professor at Regent College. In, in this whole matter of um, when we can agree to disagree, I came out of a, an undergraduate program that was very sp specific in terms of its um, decided uh, conclusions on matters of eschatology, particularly since we're talking about that. Bruce was a person who was not encamped in the approved school that um, I, I had been trained in. So I began to, to attend the lectures that Bruce was offering, and in the back of my mind is this, he was well known, but he didn't agree. He didn't sign the statement um, from the sort of uh, kind of theological society that, that my, my college was part of. So I wonder how this is going to turn out. The very first lecture that I, I attended uh, Bruce began by praying a prayer, and he said um, something like this, and he he prayed this very prayer, or something like it, every 
every time after that. He said, Father, we will never understand your word until we stand under your word. So we hereby stand under your word, under its authority, um, so that we might understand it. Very wise prayer and very telling in this whole matter of, of moral qualification and moral results of knowledge. Bruce is saying, and he was a, is a, a brilliant scholar, he would you know, roll back his eyes and quote Journal of Theological Studies. He could almost, I could presume, see the column and issue it and just spin it off. But as brilliant as he is, he, he was committed to being subject to the authority of the word if he hoped to understand the word. So, so it's a very simple thing. I've, I've, I've cluttered it a fair bit today. But the simple truth is this. If your life is a mess, your teaching is not dependable. If your life is a mess, your teaching may even be to blame, but certainly it is not credible. And as we sort of journey together, when we find people who have this sort of Gnostic approach to things where they they see no necessity to connect up with life what they're saying they know or what they're learning it should cause us just to hesitate and say well i think that may in fact be a bit of a red flag so as we journey on together very simply um we should be willing to check in about one another's lives and say, well, how are you doing? I mean, you yourself, how, how's it going? When we find that, that um, people who, who particularly are um, notable teachers, when they stumble, we usually find out that for a while something has been going on that, that wasn't right, uh, and, and it finally ended up in what they were teaching um, being found discredited or they being found discredited. And Peter says, you know that this sort of thing happens, so be careful with the lives of people that purport to be your teachers. If the lives don't match up with the good and holy and high ways of, of our relationship with our God, be careful. Second thing that um, I want to just identify as we move forward into this next thing is that not only should we check our whole life, and, and there would be the kind of the punchline. Um, rule number one, check a person's whole life, not just what they know, but how their whole life seems to shape up because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of knowledge. The second thing is to check the whole scriptures. Check, check my whole life and then check the whole of scriptures. Uh, what we find in, in this passage here is from Second Peter 3 verse 2. It kind of casts back to that 
We're in Second Peter 3.15, and Peter just sort of makes a sort of a passing reference. He says, the, the things that Paul wrote are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. So the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. In in Second Peter 3, verse 2, just earlier in the chapter, he says, remember the words um, that the prophets, uh, the Lord, and your apostles um, taught you. The apostles, the Lord, the prophets. So he he's kind of stretching back in the reference now in, in our passage by saying the scriptures, and he says, Earlier he has said, I want you to remember the scriptures, and even though, as they are taught, um, they're hard to understand, you, you, you can't not fix yourself on them, because your destruction will ensue from your distorting the rest of scriptures, the whole of scriptures. By the rest of scriptures, by his own context, um, Peter is meaning what he calls the prophets, um, the commandments of the Lord and the teaching of the apostles. That's kind of a, a summary of, of the whole of scriptures. So very simply, the second test is to ask the question, does this person's teaching conform with the whole of scriptures? Is that is that where this is coming from? Is that at least where this is being grounded? Is that at least where this is being discussed? It's a very simple thing to do uh, to say, well, we're arguing about this. Why don't we open the scriptures together and you show me where it is that what, what you're thinking is is taught in the scriptures or help me to understand how you how you see that passage saying that the 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 greatest heresy that carries on in the church starts with two words i think and bible study groups and you know classes and all that for for ages now have been replete with the importance of listening to one another and affirming one another. Absolutely, that's that's totally valid. But when somebody says, I think, we, we all need to own up to the fact that that's exactly what the person is saying. I think. So if what I think is matched up with Scripture, then we can all nod our heads. If what I think doesn't seem to be in the scriptures, we should probably say, well, can we check that out? And we should be willing to say to one another, yeah, we we have to check that out. Go ahead and have at me. So if I'm saying something and you feel as though it, it just doesn't fit or doesn't rhyme true for you, then say, well, where is that in scripture? How do you see that in scripture? And any teacher, uh, you know, claiming to be a follower of Christ and, and a teacher in his church, should be willing to be um, basically 
called on the question, is that from the scripture what you're saying or not? Uh, and and if we, if the person ends up by saying, well, I think that, and you say, well, that that really doesn't matter, honestly, you know, respectfully. But what do the scriptures say? So we're going this summer to talk about some things that will sound different. Um, I I will uh, promise you now and later that I am still a credentialed, ordained minister of the Christian Missionary Alliance. I've not become a heretic, and even though some of the things we're going to talk about are going to cause us all together to raise eyebrows, um, I'm, I'm orthodox, I'm good. But you need to ask me, first of all, is my life okay? And secondly, is what I'm saying from the scriptures? And in fact, what I want to argue this summer is that there are things that we should be thinking about that are according to the scriptures that we may well have not been ready to accommodate or have not been able to accommodate because of where we've kind of drifted and settled ourselves. Now I've hopefully gotten you interested in in what we're going to talk about. So what does it mean um, to check ourselves against the scriptures? Well, Peter talks about the prophets, what has been taught by the prophets, what has been taught by the Lord, and then what has been taught by your apostles. And and that covers the sweep of the scriptures. Here's what I want to talk about a little bit, is the question, when we think about the story of God, do we think about it in terms of the whole sweep of the prophets, the Lord, and the apostles? Or have we drifted sometimes into just an, an apostle's version of the whole story of God? We'll dig right into that in a few weeks. But the, the questions that come up are, um, which parts of, of Scripture have, have more weight or get more attention? And there has been a while in evangelical Christianity where the letters of Paul have kind of be- become the gold standard. So um, what did Paul say? And there are people who don't like Paul at all, and there are people who love Paul. But if we, if we go to Peter's description of the scriptures, he's talking about the prophets, the commandments of the Lord and the apostles. Well, if we start with Paul, do we have to also stretch back and ask, well, what did Jesus say? It's interesting that in, in some of our approaches to the theology of the New Testament, we, we fast forward to, to the Christology of Paul or the soteriology of Paul, which is, what is his doctrine about Jesus? What is his doctrine about salvation? And so as long as we have that figured out, maybe the rest was just a preface. Maybe it was just an introduction. And sometimes even the life of Jesus is left as simply an introduction to the really important stuff, which is his death, burial, and resurrection, so that Paul can build a big theology. And the prophets are only important in the sense that they kind of anticipate some things that are going to happen. Then there are those 
who will dispense with Paul and say, the only thing I want to think about is what Jesus said. And so the debates go on about whether Paul preaches Jesus, whether Jesus preaches Paul. Um, some of the characters get in the way, like James, the half-brother of Jesus. Did Paul and James have a big fight, and did they start two kinds of Christianity? Um, well, it's all interesting conversation, but again, as we open our our minds and um, our conversations with one another, we should be able to ask, well, as we think that through, how is it that the scriptures lay out our understanding of, of what God is doing in, through, through, in history and through history and towards the end of, of time? So, two questions. Um, is your whole life okay about what you're teaching and believing? Is the whole of Scripture okay around what you are saying or, or um, sort of questioning and, and figuring out? If the answer to both of those is yes, let the conversation carry on. Let it be as difficult as it needs to be. And let us continue to say to one another, there's no conversation that's ever over. As long as we're willing to say, I, I will be subject to the authority of Scripture in my own life, morally and ethically, spiritually. And I will be subject to Scripture as to whether or not what I am saying or believing or proposing can be shown in the scriptures. And we should be willing to test out some um, good old favorite notions that we have uh, about what the story of the Bible really is. Here's one of the things that I would like to, to tease out. Is, is the story of the Bible about me or is it about God? We, we live in a world where we are really saying to one another, it's about me. And we say to one another, it's, it's about you. And so the, the whole spin of the teaching of the apostles, we get to make about us, that Jesus died for me. Um, is the story of the Bible the story of me and God saving me to get me to heaven? Or is the story of the Bible the story of God and God getting heaven to earth? So you can see how you know, challenging that difference is because it begins to sound like I'm, I'm opposing something that we cherish and, uh, and proposing some new thing. It maybe sounds like something else that we were told isn't the right thing. So I will stop rambling on that. Um, but just promise you that we're, we're able always uh, to ask one another questions that point out whether or not we have a whole life understanding of knowledge, biblical knowledge, and whether or not we have a whole Bible understanding of the story of God. Way back in the 17th century, Rubertus Meldonius said something that has become a very familiar little maxim. He says, in essentials, unity. 
in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. The Moravian Church, one of the oldest church movements um, in North America, uses that as their motto. Oftentimes it's, it's attributed to Augustine, or Augustine, depending on your Western or English pronunciation, but it was actually this theologian, this German theologian in 1627, when it came to Christians disagreeing with one another, which Baptist, which council, what year, um, he sorted it into these things, in essentials, unity. What are the essentials? And whatever they are, we stand united in them. In non-essentials, liberty. What things are not critical to the orthodoxy of the Christian faith? In that one, obviously, there's a range that we're going to look at this summer uh, that has to do with views of the end times. For a while, in the early part of last century, there was a, a sorting between if you were not this on the matter of the coming of Jesus, you could not fellowship with we who believe this other thing. On So that's an area in which we have happily become friends with one another and we are willing to extend liberty. But there are points today of discussion that we should get at um, over which other believers would say, well, no, we, we can't be in the same room. If you believe that, I believe this, we can't be in the same room. How do we know what's essential and what's not essential? And at the end of the day, in all things charity, charity is love. Uh, when I disagree with you, when you disagree with me, can we yet, as Christian brothers and sisters, declare that we love one another without question? That when we close the Bible up and go back home, we don't speak ill of one another, we don't characterize one another as um, being stupid or heretics or whatever it is. We, we love one another deeply from the heart because we're called to that um, while we are also called to engaging one another on what the truth is and how we therefore live our lives. So I hope that you'll join us through the uh, summer. We will be announcing in the next week or two uh, how it will kind of uh, play out. We will be focusing on teaching on Sundays or whenever it is on the weekend that it turns out we can have that time together. And then some adjunct opportunities or um, other sort of maybe midweek opportunities for learning and talking together and, and growing together. So is it the end of the world as we know it? Yes and no. Some things will change when it comes to the church, uh, and that'll be good. So it'll be the end of some things, I'm sure. It's not the end of the world. And next time as we're in First Peter 3, uh, Peter's or Second Peter 3, Peter's going to say it's not the end of the world. Do you know why? Because when the end of the world comes, it's going to be like this. And he describes a cataclysmic end, cataclysmic end. So we'll have to figure out what that means. Join us next week.